Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey folks, the Other People Podcast is offered freely. Everything's free, more than 600 episodes. It's all free. You can listen to it all. It's a listener-supported show. It's offered freely. It's a listener-supported show. If you can support the show, support the show. You can do that at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. That's patreon.com slash otherpplpod. All right? All right. All right. Hey, hey, what's up? I'm Brad Listy. This is the Other People Show. It's good to be with you. I am in Los Angeles, and uh, what happened? Oh, you know what? I got into this conversation. We have somebody living with us right now. She's uh, like my son's aide. Like he, you know, my son has disabilities, and so his aide uh, goes to school with him to help him get around because he's got some physical disabilities. And, you know, when, when this pandemic happened, you know, school got canceled and we were like, what do we do? And she just moved in with us. And, uh, yeah, so she's living with us and she's just a great person and, uh, kind of a hippie. She's in her twenties. She's from Vermont. She grew up in the forest and stuff. And like, uh, I was, I sent this out in my email newsletter, but she does like breathing, like really intense breathing exercises in the backyard and. Um, I don't know. She's just a hippie, you know, she goes to Burning Man. And I was having a conversation with her the other day and she was like, yeah, I really want to get out. You know, I want to get out and I really need to be out. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, the, the parks are closed. Everything's shut down in Los Angeles. You can't go hiking, can't go to the park. And she was like, well, you know, but I really, I need to get into the, into the, into the trees. And I was like, well, you know, everything's closed. And she's like, yeah, I know. I just, I need, I need to be like, you know, with my feet in the dirt. And I was just like, well, listen, I sort of got impatient. I was like, listen, you live in a city. We're in a pandemic. You can't go. <laughs> and, uh, what did I say? I was like, adapt or die. I was trying to be funny, but I was also, you know, it's kind of like, listen, I don't know what to tell you. That's what it was like. I was exasperated. I was like, I don't know how to get you into a forest. We live in Los Angeles. There is nature here, but it's closed. Nature is closed.
And then afterwards, I felt kind of shitty. I was like, well, damn, dude. She just wanted to go for a walk in the trees. I just don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't know how to get you into the trees. I don't know how to do it. My guest today is Megan Boyle. She is the author of two books, the first of which is called Selected Unpublished Blog Posts of a Mexican Panda Express Employee. That is available from Moo Moo House. And more recently, she published a novel called Live Blog, available from Tyrant Books. And Live Blog, for those of you who don't know, originated as an online project. It originated several years ago as a live blog. Megan was documenting her life in unusual detail online, her inner life, her outer life. She started this thing online, and it continued for a long time. And then from that project, Live Blog, the novel, was born. And I should add that uh, Megan Boyle has started a new edition of her Live Blog. That got underway just last month as the pandemic and the shelter-in-place got underway. If you want to catch up with her her new Live Blog, you can do that at beethoventhemovie.tumblr.com. So this is Megan's second time on the podcast. The first time we spoke was nearly a decade ago. I want to say it was in 2011, right around the dawn of this project. And it's always fun for me to catch up with people after several years have gone by to see how things have changed and what's going on. And, you know, life does that to you. Everybody goes through a lot of changes if enough time goes by. Megan uh, you know, a lot has happened to her, and we really got into it. We had an epic conversation, and it was just delightful to talk with her. And I'm really excited to share this one with you. So let's get to it. This is my conversation with Megan Boyle. Her novel, once again, is called Live Blog. Um, so it's been like a, a couple bottoms for me. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're getting in, this is like pretty deep stuff from the beginning. That's good. Um, yeah, so in 2013, uh, after live blogging, I tried to end my life and I, uh, started going to meetings. I was at like a psych facility um, after that for about two and a half weeks and I just like wanted to get out of there, but, um, I kind of consider that sort of a bottom in that, um, I woke up with this feeling of like fuck and I didn't really get that. I, I knew that something had to change, but I, I kind of went further with like drugs and alcohol for like a long time. But I, I did start to have a little hope then that there was, some other answer, but I like thought that those meetings I went to, like those 12 step program things, I thought they were like dumb. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I'd figure it out and stuff. Um, so I went on like that for a long time and I, I guess I don't really have like, um, I got a couple bottoms, (laughs) like the, the, the period of time, like the, the 2014 ish, I like, moved back home with my parents. I had been living in New York and, uh, like that was another pretty low time. Uh, I got like more and more isolated then. And I like started using Adderall a lot to like edit live blog, like all thinking like, you know, this is helping me, this is helping me. 
Um, by, but the way, get... by the way, I've had that same th – I've thought about using Adderall to work on my book before. In fact, uh, I never have done it, but I there was a time maybe around the 2014, like the time that you're talking about, where I kind of like half-jokingly was going to write uh, this book that I'm working on, and it was going to be called Datterall because it was going to be about like fatherhood, but I was going to do it very quickly. It's just that urge to want to get all the shit over with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, totally. And it can like help with that, but it could also like extend it into like a hell period. <laughs> Which is what happened to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you didn't do Datterall though, right? No, I did. Uh, I had. I, I, I wouldn't even know where to get Adderall, but I remember. Um, I want to say Mira like gave me like one Adderall, and I was like, let me just try this. And I took it and I went to a coffee shop and I was like, I'm going to work today. I'm going to get like, you know, 30,000 words. <laughs> and I sat there and I like played with the same paragraph over and over again for like three hours, you know, and I was like, what am I doing? And I was drinking coffee while I was on Adderall. It just seemed crazy. Yeah, I feel for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you were living at home, you were editing live blog, which for people listening is, and forgive me if I'm mischaracterizing it, but it's a pretty epic work of autofiction. It's like 700 pages long. And it was, you know, the book is an outgrowth of this blog that you were writing and that you're now writing again, where you um, like, like pretty uh, fastidiously document that your daily existence in all of its uh, minutia. Yeah. <laughs> is that it right i just wrote the, i just wrote the flap copy for the uh, jacket of your book thanks um so you're yeah. editing you're editing what is a, a like probably like an overwhelming manuscript i mean this 700 page beast and you're trying to get it into book form i can i mean i can empathize with you i can see where you might have thought adderall could help yeah i mean and it had helped me in the past and i think like there were like moments like you know, maybe in like my early 20s, if I had just never like broken certain walls with myself um, or like rules, I guess, uh, it maybe could have been fine. But I do have this like addictive brain or addictive personality that like I just have to go further and further and further. So, uh, yeah, it, it has the opposite effect, I found. <laughs> so what happened? Did like did the edit go poorly? Yeah, I mean, it just took a really long time. Um, it took like, okay, so I started in like in the summer of 2014. And then I started experiencing these like weird things with my skin um, that uh, I, I, so it, I had like a drug induced psychosis. I had thought like some crazy stuff was happening with my skin and I had these delusions about it. And so I kind of slowly. Wait, what, started... was, what was happening with your skin? Um, I, I would like pick at it a lot. And like, sometimes I think I'd see stuff in there, um, like weird stuff. And I would like, you know, like how, when you're about to sneeze, you can like know when you're about to sneeze. Yeah. Okay, so I'd, like, think that I'd have that feeling of, like, knowing, and I'd be, like, something's going to, like, pop out of my skin. And then I'd, like, hear something on the other side of the room. I was, like, like I had no social, <laughs> like, anything at this point. Um, so I was just, like, playing this weird almost game with myself, like, with these noises and, like, kind of, I'm not sure if they were hallucinations or delusions or, um, like, I took a lot of pictures of them. It's This is a very strange time in my life. 
um, when this happened. You took a lot of pictures of your skin? Yeah, and, like, this, like, weird, like, pattern that came out of it that, like, if you look at the pictures now, it's, like, I can kind of see what I saw back then, but it's not, you know, it doesn't have that, like, crazy kind of loaded quality anymore. Like these like weird things. And I, can, I, I mean, it's making me think of uh, psychedelic experiences that I've had where like suddenly like the ordinary objects of a room or like a tree in your backyard will take on this kind of like intricate majesty that you can't believe you didn't see before. Yeah. Yeah. It so, was similar. <laughs> well, okay. But so I, I guess what I'm trying to do in some ways is defend you because just because you can't see it in your ordinary, like with your ordinary sober eyes doesn't mean that it's not necessarily there. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I really thought I was losing my mind at the time, but I like didn't really know how to stop it. Like I thought I like needed Adderall. Like, I couldn't do anything without it, I thought. And, like, I couldn't stop it, like, once I was doing it. So, I don't know. But, yeah, there is something, like, really strange about, like, that whole experience that I don't think, like, needs to be entirely written off. Um, well, but also, but yeah. I, also, it's, like, worth pointing out that um, I think Adderall, like, pharmacologically speaking, is it's just, like, it's like biker speed. It's, like, what the Hell's Angels took in the 60s. So for you to be experiencing uh, psychosis and to be like picking at your skin a lot, that seems like right in line with what's supposed to happen if you do too much of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a serious chemical that, yeah. That, that has somehow been like marketed as like a, like an attention deficit drug or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, and like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be painting with too broad of a brush. Cause I know for some people it really does help, but I think like in the, uh, the wider culture it's become, and especially like in, uh, like art and literary and media culture, it's kind of like steroids. It, it, it like performs a lot of the same function that steroids perform in sports where people use it to get some kind of edge or to like increase productivity or something. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that people who do it should be disqualified? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not fair. They're juicing. It's uh, it's illegal. We have to create some sort of ground rules. But um, no, I think when it comes to the arts, you know, it's all fair game. I mean, my record collection wouldn't exist without all manner of uh, substances. So it's hard to it's hard to be too down on them uh, in a, like a total way. But there's also you know, how many people lost their lives or ruined their lives because of, uh, overindulgence or having what I often call like an allergy. Um, I always, I think of addiction as an allergy and maybe that's just my easy way of, uh, making sense of it. But having been around people who have struggled, um, with addiction before they've gotten sober, you know, that's often how it strikes me. I think of alcohol in particular, but it could be anything where somebody takes something and it's like, wow, like the effect that it has on them is different than the effect it has on most people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the idea of it as an allergy or like substances as an allergy is like from like the main book of literature, the 12 step program that I'm in. And I love that idea. Like it's really helpful. It's like, uh, like you can't totally control it. Like your body's just gonna, kind of react in this way if you put this stuff in it 
So, yeah. Wait, so wait, that's actually in the in the book? I didn't realize that, that that's actually part of the literature. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, I feel better about myself now for having uh, come up with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or maybe good. I'm remembering, you know, maybe it's drawn from some deep memory or something of somebody telling me about it. But um, so to go back to your story, uh, you know, you're working on this edit, you're living at home with your parents, you're essentially losing your, your mind because of uh, all of this speed in your system. And uh, I guess like one question I have is like, what are your parents thinking? Like, are you interacting with them? Are they aware of your condition? Uh, I, yeah, they kind of knew. Um, like I, I talked with my mom about it a lot. Like I would come to her if I was like freaking out and I'd be like, mom, do you see my hand? And, uh, I don't know. Like she says that during that time, like she knew that I was going through like a hard time. She didn't think it was related to drugs. Because um, also I've always been like very good at like uh, kind of like concealing that or like I didn't want them to know that uh, I was doing lots of drugs and I'm a pretty good liar, <laughs> I guess, or I can be about stuff. And so uh, aren't addicts often very skilled liars? Isn't that part? I've heard that before, too. I mean, you sort of have to be as like a survival mechanism or, or as a a way of continuing to use without, I don't know, breaching social contracts or whatever. Yeah, totally. It, like, keeps the, the addiction alive. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they kind of knew, but they've never been to, uh, you know, I was, like, 29 um, and, like, you know, grown. I, I tried to avoid them a lot. Um, I, like, lived in the attic. So I kind of could just stay up there. And I mean, really all I did was kind of like sit around my room and stuff. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of knew. Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Okay. And then what, like what happens eventually? Like you're working on your book, um, and you know, you're sort of, um, having a meltdown and then do at some point, do you reach out for help or does it come to a head in some other way? Um, what happens? Well, I was seeing a psychiatrist, uh, for the Adderall. Um, and I kind of, I mean, like also I, I wanted to like protect my use of it and stuff around her too. 
Um, she did introduce me to like meditation and that started to help me um, just at that time. So uh, like I, I was trying to transition out of doing it um, so much and that kind of helped me. Man, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't really have like a like cohesive like point A to point B like narrative of it, but I I know it's probably in there somewhere too. Um, like during that time. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. So in July 2015, I was like sick of it. <laughs> I was like, this sucks. Um, maybe I just like shouldn't work on this book. I shouldn't be a writer, and I should just like go back and finish my degree. Um, and try to do some kind of like. I don't know, uh, like, like therapy or something, um, in like an honest way. And, uh, like maybe do that with my life. Um, cause I have always wanted to like, like in writing, I think writing used to help me cause it would help me like feel less alone and like other people would read stuff and it would help them. And that was like a big, like wonderful thing, but I didn't have that anymore. So I thought like, maybe I'll just like be a, some kind of like social worker or therapist. So I don't know. That was like my helpful idea for a while. Um, I would translate it into like a real life application, helping people feel less alone thing. I've had that same, um, I've had for what it's worth, I've had that same exact thought. Oh really? Yeah. I mean, it makes me feel good to hear you say that because I think like my approach to writing or my conception of it, like why I do it and like what it's good for or what it's useful for is, is in line with that. And if it's like, if I can't do this, then how can I do something else that might perform a similar function? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so, I, I think that's like, it's, it's nice to hear. I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you, do you still like, do you think about, am I like mishearing you? Have you thought about being a therapist? Yeah, no, I mean, I, it's like crossed my mind. I was like, should I, it's nothing I pursued seriously, but it was like, should I go back to school? And I think I was thinking of doing this show, you know, I basically listen to people and talk to people and enjoy doing that. Uh, I've been doing this for 10 years and I'm all, like always in this state of like self-evaluation. Like, why am I, what, what am I doing? You know, like, and, and uh, it just seems like something that uh, people find useful and that I find useful and I've never done therapy. So you know, I'm sure it's like a, a much more structured process, but it seems like that helps too. I don't know. It's just me searching my mind, trying to think of a way to fit into the world. Yeah. Why is that so tough? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. I wish it was easier. <laughs> yeah. um, so continue though. You, you were thinking of potentially, you know, giving up writing and maybe going back to school. And, yeah. And then what? Yeah. Well, then I did. Um, but I still had like some bad habits. I would like, I had gotten off Xanax. I had a big problem with that too, but I would just like drink instead. And like the stuff I did when I drank would get like, like kind of fringier and fringier, like, like just go to bars alone or like meet people on the street, drive them to the suburbs to like buy weed and stuff. Like, I don't know. Like it was just this. And I'd be like, who was that? Who did that? Um, uh, you know, the night before. So it started to feel like a cycle. Um, a couple things happened around like 2017, I guess. I, uh, this Chilean press wanted to like translate some of my like essays I had online and they like flew me down there and 
um, it was awesome. And, uh, I got to like, like be exposed to this different kind of social setting. And, you know, I was, I was beginning, I moved to the apartment where I'm in right now. I had moved there about like a couple months prior. And, uh, like I was sort of like pulling out my feelers or putting out my feelers rather to like, like, uh, old friends and stuff like that. So, um, but still really like, like feeling like a freak of nature. <laughs> and, um, so it was really nice to go down there, um, and like be in this kind of like literary community sort of, uh, that also didn't feel like it had the same things like here in the U S that like the literary community that I had known had like, I, I don't know. They just like were really carefree and like excited. And so, uh, yeah. And then my ex, uh, boyfriend, I was talking to him and he was like, you should pick your book up again. You should do that again. And so then I just like kind of started doing that again. I contacted Gian and I asked if he wanted to put it out still. And he said, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. And then Jordan, my friend, Jordan, Jordan Castro, that's the one. Yep. <laughs> He, uh, he moved to Maryland about like 45 minutes away from me um, to be with his girlfriend, Nicolette. Who I just um, interviewed recently. I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, Jordan's, uh, he had a pretty major shift in personality, like from when I knew him, like from back in the day until now. And he had gotten sober. I think he'd had like five years at that time. And I was like, man, <laughs> I like want that. Like, I don't know. He's like himself, you know, he's like free, like, like in his own like consciousness and body. And it's like fine. And I was still pretty, I don't know. I, I, I started to figure out that the problem might be uh, the substances I was doing um, as well as me. Cause I always thought like the problem was me too. And I'd, like, do drugs to, like, help with the problem of me. But then it, like, I don't know. It just, like, took me a really long time to get that, like, my drug habits had also become a problem in my drinking habits. Isn't it funny how long it can take? I mean, <laughs> like, not just with that kind of stuff, but with just any kind of, like, human struggle, you know, like a personal human struggle. We're always, like, the last to know, it seems like. <laughs> Like a lot of people around us know it, you know, our families probably know it. And then eventually, like years later, we finally get around to figuring it out. But I guess that's just the way of things. Yeah. 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 That's a funny trick of life. Now, what, what about, uh, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. No, sorry. Or why do you think that is? Uh, I think because, probably because it's painful to admit that there might be something wrong you know it's painful to admit like or maybe we conceive of it as some kind of personal failing um and i'm speaking for myself or maybe we are afraid you know of what the change might entail like change can be scary you know and then there's also just the when it comes to addiction i think there's just the plain fact in in uh, some cases of true physical addiction to substance you know the body has a need for the substance and um, I guess a question I would pose to you because you talked about, you know, trying to take drugs to sort of fix things is that, you know, in, you know, um, having friends over the years who have struggled with, uh, substance abuse, I know that a lot of times it can start as an outgrowth of trying to kind of self-medicate for an underlying 
uh, condition like anxiety disorder or bipolar disorder or something like that, you know, something like this, like a, like a genuine psych, uh, like a psychiatric uh, condition. And so did you, is that what you were doing? Did you find out after the fact, like, oh, wow, I had anxiety disorder and I was trying to medicate it or uh, something like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always known I've had anxiety and like depression and stuff. Um, uh, and that, I mean, yeah, it's never been something as clear cut as that, I guess. Like I've been in, um, I went back to like therapy, uh, Jungian analysis, um, with this woman I'd seen years ago and I asked her, um, like, I, I like essentially wanted a diagnosis, like, like I wanted her to tell me and she said, you don't really have anything that is like clear enough to say like, like, cause I thought I had like all these things. Um, like I thought I was like borderline narcissist and like schizophrenic or something. Like I had a lot of stuff. Um, and she just said like, you're, you're like a neurotic, <laughs> And you've got some anxiety and depression, and that like felt really good to hear because I'm like I'm really severe, like mentally, like I, I'm hard on myself. Like I don't know, yeah. I'm kind of the same way, you know. Like one of the things I would ask you as a creative person, you said the word narcissism and being afraid of being a narcissist, among other things. Like especially for somebody working in an auto fiction mode and like you know especially the way that you have been doing it which is like such a maximal approach you know where you're just like i'm going to document it all i'm going to share all of it um like i ask this from a place of personal interest because i'm working in an autobiographical mode and sometimes i can be like am i just obsessed with myself in a really unhealthy way like do i need to turn outward more and like write about somebody besides myself um and, you know, I can be of multiple minds about it. I think they can also be an act of generosity, uh, you know, especially when it's rendered well, you know, for somebody to sort of turn themselves inside out. But have you ever gotten to that place with it where you're like, wait a minute, is this me being a narcissist or is this me being a generous artist? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, I relate to that a lot. Um, I... I mean, a big part of, like, why I stopped writing is because I was, like, really afraid that I'd, like, gone to some, like, really icky place that, like, you're not supposed to do. But I think I was just, like, making up that story because I wanted to, like, kind of protect myself from, like, I really went balls out. And I, uh, like, with the live blog thing, and I, like, two balls out a little bit. Like, I wasn't very, uh, not a lot of thought went into it, I guess, or something. But, um Anyway, yeah, I do uh, – there is a difference, I think, between, like, writing about yourself because you're obsessed with yourself or because you, like, love, love, love yourself, which I've never really – I enjoy myself, but I'm not, like, like, <laughs> <laughs> It's not like a, like a love affair. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I have always, like, wanted to keep myself company, like, helps me with that. And I I think that, like, if you write about yourself, too, like, that is doing something, um, or if you, if you think about yourself and your actions and, like, like the person you are and, uh, you know, your values and your, 
uh, little weird things about you that even the stuff that you try to hide from yourself, if you can like look into that and find out what that is. And I think you, I don't know. I like to think that you can become a better person or um, kinder uh, to others. So maybe, I don't know, like I see it as two sides. Like there's the too much self-love kinds of like, actually, but do you know anybody like, do you like, like, can you think of like writing that's like too like, oh, that person's like writing about themselves too much? Because I don't know if I can. Right. Or, no, it only, maybe I can. I mean, I mean, I'm sure I could probably dig around in my mind and come up with something. But most of the time when I'm reading somebody who like fearlessly or is able, you know, maybe maybe not fearlessly, but is able to sort of like push the fear aside and go there and is willing to be transparent on the page in a way that feels authentic, I'm just grateful uh, that's the prevailing feeling for me. It's not like, oh, this person's just like self-focused. I think the the concern about that stuff mostly happens with me, which I guess, you know, maybe I just answered my question. Maybe I shouldn't be so concerned about it. <laughs> you know, maybe it's a, you know, when other people read it, it won't be nearly as difficult as it is for me to read myself or something like that. Yeah, I think so. But there is an art to it. I mean, you know, it, it's, um, and I guess this is probably one of the bigger, like, uh, aesthetic and, um, like craft type questions that I would pose for you is that, you know, you wrote this thing online and posted pretty much close to daily for how long, how long did it last that first live vlog? Like six, about six months. Okay. So, you know, not every single day, but most every single day. And you were pretty, uh, pretty much documenting everything. And then when you trans, you know, transitioned it into book form, you know, you talked about having to do an edit, like what did the edit entail? And like, how did you make those decisions? You know, because obviously you want it to be something that people can enjoy as a book, but you also don't want to, I would imagine, change it in ways that would somehow, um, you know, mess up the authenticity of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think just from like having lived it, it was like, I, I kind of had an idea of like the stuff that didn't matter as much. Like I cut out about, uh, it was like 1500 and I got it down. So I cut out quite a bit cause I, I can be a little repetitive and I can drone, um, in a way that's not really, uh, like I, I, yeah, it's mostly repetition. I think I cut out, and um, probably like it was a while ago. Like I don't know if I can remember that well. Well, but I mean, you cut it in half essentially, more than in half. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It's funny to hear you say repetition because um, I feel that way about this podcast. I feel like I have the same. I tell the same fucking stories. I hear myself telling them. Or I have, you know, the same little anecdotes or things that I'll say. And I, I always recognize when it's a repeat, but I think that's just having like a human mind. We only have so much stuff up there. Um, yeah. So it makes sense to me that that would be there in, in the live blog and that that would be what you would have to call. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's still quite a bit of repetition. <laughs> well, that's okay. A little bit's good, but just too much is too much. Yeah, yeah. Or just, like, things that I felt bored with, like, reading it. Or thought, like, I don't know. Um, like, I think it does kind of move nicely or something. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, what else did I cut? Well, I cut, like, text message conversations and, like, um, I don't know. I think some other, like, things like that. Or, like, I just, like, write some thoughts about, like, a YouTube video that's, like, oh, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have a sense, because you wrote LiveBlog, the online version, um, like, kind of the first draft of the book, basically, when you were still using yeah. So I'm sure there are probably you might part of you might be like, "Wow, I wrote this." <laughs> is there some of that? Like, wow, I you know I don't even remember doing this, or is most of it memorable? Most of it's memorable, weirdly. Like I think writing it down helped me remember it. Um, and like I wasn't using very like I mean, looking at it now, that's like I went a lot further after that. Um, but I did do a lot of Xanax. <laughs> uh, yeah, which does affect your memory. But I do remember a good bit. I don't remember everything. There's some things I forget. Um, but it, it is really surprising to me that I wrote all that on drugs. Um, but, like, at the time, I also thought that, like, drugs were what helped me write. Like, I thought, like, they were my, like, Dumbo's magic feather or whatever that makes him fly. Or, you know, do you know what that oh, yeah. Dumbo? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so do, you, do you have, when you started it, did you have a really concrete idea of why you were going to do it? I mean, I know, like, I think you write in the live blog itself that you're trying to, you know, like, hoping it might help you be a better person. Forgive me if I'm paraphrasing this poorly, but was that basically the motivation? Yeah, yeah, that and, like, figuring out, uh, there was like stuff that was going wrong in my life. I didn't know why like certain patterns were happening. Um, I felt real bad and I kind of wanted to figure out what the problem was. Um, like why, why did I feel like this? Why is my life like this? Mm. And I, I felt like there was nowhere. I don't know. I was like writing for vice at the time, like these little articles that like, they're kind of like sarcastic or like tongue in cheeky. Like I, I felt really like kind of nihilistic about the world back then. And I, uh, like it, those were like, I couldn't write them anymore and I didn't know why. So yeah, I was just trying to figure out why, like what the hell is going on? Why couldn't you write them anymore? Um, I think a couple reasons, uh, like honestly, my heart wasn't really in it. Um, and I, like, I don't know, like, there's something about, like, just articles and articles and articles upon articles that uh, I started seeing around back then that I just, like, felt like, oh, this is gross or something. Or um, I'd kind of, like, write things a little bit, like, in the structure of those, like, to kind of make fun of it or I don't know. Actually, it's been a long time since I've read any of that. And I'd probably, like, look at it now and think, like, oh, no, that's fine. You're just being hard on it. But, uh, yeah, I just didn't really feel like I fit in somehow with that whole thing, even though it's, like, what I thought I wanted. But I, like, couldn't – I just couldn't, like, churn out shit all the time. And I felt like that's what I was doing. <laughs> well, I, I can relate to that. Like, I remember like, the, remember, like, the whole blogging era. I guess you were probably growing up in it. But for me, I was, like, in my 20s and – uh, there was a time where I was doing that like every day. And then at some point you just, you run out of shit to say, like, I don't know. 
I guess you just need to read more, you know, like you just get to a point where like your, your input uh, is overwhelmed by your output and it, things get out of balance. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Your input gets overwhelmed by your output. Well, and you're probably, you're writing for Vice and they probably have a certain, I mean, they have a certain editorial voice that you're trying to kind of um, conform to. I mean, that's part of being a writer for a publication. You can't, I mean, you have a pretty wide latitude, I would imagine, but you can't just do anything, right? You have to kind of try to, like, were you pitching them things and then they would accept certain ideas and send you off running or could you just do whatever you wanted? I could just do whatever I wanted, oh, but yeah. it felt too much freedom. <laughs> You're like, I actually want somebody to like, uh, listen to my pitches and tell me what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that was part of why too. Uh, just cause like, I didn't really have like a, like, it was just like boils brains, like just stuff. I think <laughs> like there's so much stuff you think and like how, I don't know. It's hard to like, I don't know. I could have just come at it more like an adult or something. So that was like that. That's what you were doing when you were writing live blog and you were trying to wrestle with why it was no longer enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't really write about that in there. I was just like, Oh, it's like impossible for me to do articles. And I didn't know why. And the live blog was sort of like the antidote to that. Like I'm going to do it this way. Cause this feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just wanted to be like honest somewhere. I get and that. Yeah. Like, is one of your parents a therapist? Do I do I have that in my head right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my... <laughs> your dad is. Yeah. All right, and then you've been to Jungian therapy, which you've already mentioned. Like, yeah. it's it's kind of a. It makes some sense to me to want to live in public this way, and to want like like I totally have that same impulse where it's like I just want to tell the truth. Like, I want yeah. some place to you know, or I want most places, all places to be hopefully domains where I can just not be full of shit or have to somehow, um, like I think of work environments can be this way, you know, but social environments can be this way too, where even if it's not necessarily something that you want to do or even plan to do, you can find yourself like tailoring thought and behavior and speech, uh, in a way that over time starts to grind you down or starts to feel icky or whatever. Um, and I think like literature, not only as a reader, but as a writer can be like a respite from that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what you were up to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and like, you know, I don't mean to like psychoanalyze this to death, but like, I think that it's an interesting point to make that you have this, uh, this family background with therapy because your dad's a therapist and then you've done therapy. I guess what I'm getting at is that like this sort of like the performative aspect of live blog, like as an act of performance art, which I think it most certainly was um, in addition to being literary art is almost like somebody excavating themselves in a therapeutic way or like sharing the kinds of things that one might share in therapy. Um, and then some, but doing it in public. And I, I think that might be part of the reason why it resonates with people. Um, am I making any sense? I'm, I'm going at this on the fly, but I, like, I felt like I had some kind of thread that, uh, that made sense to me. 
No, absolutely. I mean, totally. It was, uh, I mean, it felt, at least at first, like therapeutic to do. And I had a, um, yeah, like, like I just wanted a place to be honest. Um, and that is like, you know, what therapy is supposed to be. It's funny because like at the time I was very negative about therapy. Like I thought, uh, like I, I'd been to it, like I'd seen the woman who I'm seeing now. Um, and I like stopped and like, I don't know. I was very like, like, like I know everything. <laughs> Nobody can tell me anything. So, but I also really wanted help. Like, I, and it did help me to do that, like to write all that stuff. Um, yeah. And I think also like in a weird way, I mean, it was me seeking out, um, like, I mean, before I, like that's like the sort of uh, the main idea behind the twelve step program I'm in is honesty um, and accountability, and it was some place where I could be held accountable um, for about six months. But uh, yeah, that, that was something lacking. Well, yeah, that- I think I mean I I think the twelve step programs there are aspects of it. Like there's something Kurt Vonnegut used to say that I always go back to. I think there's an essay he wrote where he basically calls it like the best church in America or something like that. Like one that's actually useful where people get up in front of one another and testify in this really honest way. And you have to do, what is it, like a searching moral inventory and you have yeah. to try and you have to try to make amends. There was a, a point at which uh, in the past, in one of my like many abandoned uh, books, I was doing book research and I went to uh, a meeting and sat through a meeting and uh, I was just blown away by it. It's like so moving, you know, uh, and I totally understand what Vonnegut was saying. Uh, I think that even if somebody isn't struggling with addiction, doing some of these things, uh, like a moral inventory or trying to make amends, uh, there's useful stuff in there. And, uh, I guess maybe like there's some crossover too with talk therapy. Um, you know, that's kind of what you're doing in talk therapy is, is taking inventory, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you had some resistance to it. Like you were like, eh, I don't want to do this. And I think a lot of people might have that resistance, you know, who are struggling with substance. And then, at some point, like, did, was there a moment or like a, a meeting or a person where things shifted for you and you started to see like value in it? Yeah. Um, so it was in July, 2015 when I was still living at home. Um, I hadn't thought about Jungian analysis or therapy or anything for like years. And I was walking through this old bookstore and I saw um, Jung's Collected Works, Volume 5, Symbols of Transformation. And I, all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, like my, my old analyst voice like came into my head and she was like, like she had said at one point, like, if you ever see the collected work somewhere, buy it. And I like, it just like came out of nowhere. And I was like, okay, I'll go for it. I'll buy this book. And, uh, so I, I then started becoming really curious about Jung and I, I mean, I didn't read the whole thing. It's pretty dense. Um, but I, I've read, uh, like probably about like three quarters of it. And, uh, I just started getting into like Jungian, um, texts and stuff. And 
I was like gradually, I think in the years that followed, like there two years that followed, like in some way, like working up the courage to like kind of have the humility to go back and see her, um, you know, and like, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's like the core of it. It's like a kind of lack of humility or something like you, you think that, I don't know, like you can do all this yourself, but like, it's just not realistic. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, why is that? <laughs> why, why do we, why do we do that to ourselves? You know, like why do people insist on, um, solitude in suffering, you know, or insist on this idea that somehow it's ours to shoulder alone? Like it doesn't seem like it seems at odds with psychology and it seems at odds with biology, <laughs> Like, that's not how we're wired as a species. You know, we're like such a, we're such social animals and we're obviously all connected, I think, um, would make sense that we would have structures in place or we should have structures in place that would, uh, allow us to help one another. And that's what's, that's, what's great about 12 step. I mean, at least thank God there's something there, you know, and it's got, I know people like some people, uh, there's all sorts of different opinions about it, but you can't argue with the track record for most people. Like for those whom, for those for whom it works, it fucking works. Yep. Right. It works. Work it. <laughs> yeah. Right, that, yeah. There you go. That's right. And then, uh, what about um, the spiritual side of it? Because I know that like there's like uh, you know you talk about humility um, when it comes to getting sober. Um, and sort of like having the humility to go back to that therapist and reach out for help and kind of like admit that maybe you were wrong about this therapist, right? Like, like maybe there is something here. Maybe you did have a point, you know, it's kind of an, an admission of, you know, maybe getting it wrong in a sense. Um, and so I wanted to ask you because they often say that you have to surrender to a higher power, like whatever that is to you. It's not like a specific higher power or deity that they're prescribing to you but that you have to, you know, engage in that kind of humility as well. It's not just person to person humility or personal humility, but it's almost like a cosmic humility. And like, can you talk about that part of it for you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a big one. Um, and one that I actually didn't have as much resistance to, um, like when I really thought about it, like I've gone through like all kinds of phases like I was like an atheist for a while but something about it always felt a little like I don't know was forcing a little bit or like I just wanted to sound like hard like yeah there's nothing or whatever um you know like when I was kind of you know my early 20s and um but yeah I I because I always have had this feeling of there being something like strange and mysterious about this world and just existence itself. Um, like, like what is this? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so I have no problem like admitting that that thing or like the thing that like makes me breathe, like what is that? Or like puts me to sleep or wakes me up. Like, I don't know. Um, and I was pretty, I was curious. My sponsor, my first sponsor was like a really hardcore Catholic, but like not like one that I had ever met. Um, like she's very like open-minded and I like, like went to church for a while. I was doing that and I was reading the Bible and like trying to see if that was for me. And, um, I have this like tendency to like go 
balls out into something um, without much like thought and uh, like that was all last year. Um, Did you get baptized and stuff like in a river or anything? I was thinking about it. I was, <laughs> yeah, I was open to that. I just like, I don't know. I got a kick out of that. Like, like saying like, maybe you're wrong about like everything I'd ever thought. Yeah. Yeah. So that was big for me. And, uh, yeah, now I'm kind of in a, uh, maybe a more like even toned, uh, like, place with that I'm, I'm working the steps again uh and i am on step three which is uh where you make a, dis- a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of god as you understand it and i don't really know it's like it's such a big thing <laughs> like it's like everything and there uh yeah but it's like in you too i i don't know um I have honestly too had struggles too with this idea that like like I had felt like personally kind of abandoned by whatever that thing was that like benevolent force that like made me come into being like I thought like it just forgot about me for a long time but that's like my little kind of like self-important addict brain like it was there all along and I could have like been like hey can you help me out (laughs) um but I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about? I, I kind of went like a bunch of different places just there. No, I mean that makes. I mean it makes a lot of sense to me. I think that uh, like where I stand on it is is I guess to try to think of this as a big mystery. Like we live inside such a deep mystery, and I think that in the day-to-day of things, it can be easy to lose sight of just how crazy it is that we exist and that like outer space exists. And like lately I've been tripping myself out by reading a lot about astrophysics, like not, not in any kind of academic way, but like more like pop astrophysics. Like I can just like watch like a Neil deGrasse Tyson video and be like, what the fuck? You know, like, that's all you really need too. You don't need to go like super hardcore into it to get your mind blown. But I mean, we're on this, this planet, which is essentially like a dust moat in, you know, some far corner of a galaxy that is among billions of galaxies in a universe that might be one of many universes. And like our understanding of all this stuff uh, is so new, like any kind of understanding that we have of the cosmos has really only started to develop in a serious way over the past, what, several hundred years at most, but especially in the 20th century, like where we really started to make, um, you know, kind of exponential gains or whatever, but it's still so new. So that helps me, you know, is to think, think of things, um, along those lines and to just like, remember the mystery of it because, um, it can be so easy to forget. And then the other part of it that, uh, that makes sense to me is, uh, like in a, in a basic way, uh, Buddhist psychology. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, be too formalized in the way that I talk about it because I don't go to like temple or anything, but I meditate. I've read a ton of books in that space and like the basic like structure makes sense to me in terms of how to deal with suffering. And there's some crossover. I mean, there's crossover between what we've talked about with regard to talk therapy. I think meditation is a way to, um, 
you know, if you do it consistently enough, it's a way to bear witness to your own suffering and your own mental chatter. And even though you might not be verbalizing it, you're seeing it. And as long as you see it, you know, it, it, that's the most important thing. Um, and likewise, you know, that searching moral inventory um, that you talk about in the context of 12-step, I think there's crossover there as well, just to give a couple of examples. But it's basically, um, you know, these are what we're talking about, I think, are just methodologies for dealing with human suffering uh, and for trying to, uh, you know, be as elegant as we possibly can <laughs> in terms of how we cope. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is just like a fact of life. Um, and it's only as bad as you make it. And it is as bad as you make it. <laughs> yeah, oft, yeah, right? And like um, like I was talking at, I think at the top, maybe even before we started recording, I can't remember, but like just talking about like struggles that I've had with my son and his health challenges and how hard that's been and how intensely sad it can be for me sometimes. And then at the same time, it's like also the source of my greatest joy. You know, he is he and my daughter, you know, my kids are the source of my greatest joy. And so it's such a mind fuck in that way. Um, you know, not just that as a specific example, but I think there are many examples, um, in all of our lives of things that I guess, depending on the day and how you look at it, uh, can have all sorts of different, uh, meanings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everything's a lot more complicated right. <laughs> than for a period I wanted things to be like really simple and like really black and white and like one way or the other but it, that's just not life thank I mean, god I was gonna say I was gonna say thank god like we always talk about uh simplicity as like a virtue mm -hmm. uh, or we often think of it as a virtue or at least I do um maybe especially like in art I'm thinking of it that way but sometimes complexity is good like nuance is good yeah yeah. Yeah. What are you, are you frozen? I feel like you're looking up in the in the corner of your room. I am. No, I was, I, I was like, oh yeah, well, I was thinking about nuance and, and like, yeah, there's a universal kind of aspect to nuance things. Like we're all going to have like, like our own little, like, set of things that we look out of our eyeballs and like our preferences and all that but we're all I don't know like I'm not going to be able to articulate this idea clearly I was just like pausing to think about it <laughs> yeah I mean it's like yeah it's such a big huge you know it's a big topic um and I I think that when it comes to like navigating the world and trying to like live a good life. Uh, I kind of put that in quotes because like, what does that mean? But I think that's like, that's something I spend a lot of time on. It's like, how, how should I spend my time? Like, what should I do with this life of mine before it's over, which it will be very soon in the grand scheme of things. Um, like, where are you on that? Like, have you in sobriety and in the, um, like in the aftermath of publishing live blog, have you gotten like a clearer sense of mission or like what you, want to be doing with your life or things that you want to accomplish or I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Or is it still kind of foggy? <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying, but, and yeah, unfortunately I, I still don't know, like, like for sure. Um, like, like I know that 
like, because I really, like, like, denounced, like, everything I'd ever done. And I just thought, like, I'd made this terrible mistake of not only live blog, but, like, all my writing stuff that I'd done. And I, so I have, like, a more, like, equanimous, equanimous or something. There's more space in my head about, like, my past now. And um, that, like, kind of takes a while to cultivate, too. Um, and, like, uh, I, I don't know. I have, uh, I'm confident that, whatever it is, like the next chapter, it's going to come. Um, I am like, like working at a job that I don't think is good for the world. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it's good for me and that I'm, you know, like financially independent and, uh, like, yeah. So what do you, what do, you do? May I ask? Yeah. I'm, I'm a customer service representative. <laughs> For something in the realm of finance. So you're dealing with like angry customers all day? Uh, about a third of them are angry, a third of them are confused, and a third of them are like really excited. Oh, interesting. Well, I think that's, that actually sounds kind of fascinating from a writerly perspective, like some sort of window into, into humanity. Yeah, it's a really weird uh, kind of like zone of human behavior, I think. That I get to. Do you work from home? I have been, yes, yeah, since the Corona stuff. Oh, right, right. And you have like your your uh, like your headset, and your like microphone. Yeah, yeah. Even uh, the other room, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, but I mean, you know, I think like everybody's got to make a living, right? You got to pay rent, and um, how many of us are really working day jobs that we feel are like uh, totally in line with our values? That's kind of the, that's kind of the mind fuck of capitalism. It's pretty hard to avoid, um, you know, when you're participating in the system. Which, unless you're independently wealthy, um, you must in this kind of direct day to day way. And like, how do you find a job where you're like, okay, this is exactly right? Um, maybe like the whole be a therapist thing. That that probably would be more in the direction of, you know, helping people and feeling like you're making a positive difference you know, be like an elementary school teacher or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm heading kind of in that direction. I thought like for a while, like, Oh, I could go like get my MFA or something and like teach people. But I don't know. I, yeah, I feel like, I don't know. I, I really like talking to people like face to face. Like I'm a waitress to where I was a waitress. And, uh, yeah, I always thought of myself as this like socially inept, like, like, I don't know. Like I couldn't talk to people, but then like once you just start doing it, you can just do it. <laughs> well, I always say uh, to people, I'm talking to people about this show. I'm like, some of my favorite guests are people who have been through 12 step because they're good at talking. Um, oh. I don't know if it's improved that part of you or, you know, like made you more comfortable, but because of the having to get up in front of a group of people and sort of testify um, or people who have done a lot of talk therapy. Like those kinds of people tend to be good guests. Um, I don't know. Writers in general tend to be good guests because they're often comfortable in a in like an intimate one-on-one -on -one setting. Anyway, like sort of uh, talking about their insides. But the the twelve step and the talk therapy tends to kind of uh, strengthen it even more. Like, did, did going through twelve step help you in that regard in terms of like making you feel more confident about social skills or something? Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, at least like last year when I was like going at it really hard, um, which is really 
what got me the jobs that I have now. Um, and like, I have a tendency to forget that too. And like I did kind of this winter. So, um, I think it helps you as much as you work it or like, um, it's there for you. It's like my old sponsor used to say, it's not for people who want it. It's not for people who need it. It's for people who are willing to do it. And I think that your willingness to do it, um, that has a direct, like, correlation to how comfortable you are in your own skin and uh like like just with like the uncertainty kind of of the future but just like knowing that you're on a a good path uh like you do have to weirdly work for that (laughs) yeah and it's like it's it's like there's no terminus you know like you don't like get to the finish line and like celebrate like it's a kind of an it never it's a never-ending process you know but and you gotta just keep doing the work in life um whether it's in that context or it's like in the way that i'm doing it like uh i think of like we talked a little bit earlier about forgetting um you know and i can imagine it's probably similar with 12 step where like you go to meetings regularly and then you might sort of fall off for a month and you're like ugh, and you can notice a difference in your life um like, and the same thing with therapy, you know, like I noticed that with meditation, like I I'm now at the point where like, I'm superstitious about not doing it. Like I just won't miss. It's like, it's like brushing my teeth. Like I just will not miss because I know, I know from past experience that it, you know, when I don't do it, things aren't as good, you know, it, it sort of creeps up on you. And then suddenly you're like, why am I such a miserable shit? And it's like, Oh, well, this is why. <laughs> um, but one of the, um, one of the lessons or things that I learned in reading about Buddhism, which always stays with me is that, uh, like mindfulness, which is sort of a overused word these days. And I don't know, it's, it, it can be kind of annoying to hear it. Um, but whatever you want to call it, just being like aware, you know, aware that you're alive, aware of what's happening in the moment that you're doing it, which I should also say, I feel like live blog is sort of a great exercise in it's like such a, a careful, uh, attention paid, to like the moments of your life. There's something kind of Buddhist about what you were doing or what you are doing now too, now that you're back into it. But, um, so mindfulness or awareness or being like awake to your life, basically the opposite of that is forgetfulness. And that's what I'm constantly. And I think what all of us are constantly falling back into where you get caught up in the static of your mind or you, get lost in the internet or you're staring down at your phone or you're having an argument in your head with somebody over something that hasn't even happened, you know, know, it's constant. That's the constant struggle um, is to try to, um, you know, catch yourself or catch myself when I'm forgetful and asleep and get back to being awake or semi awake. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. Um, and like the forgetting too, like, I mean, that is just kind of normal or I don't know. It's been so weird to me, at least being alive this long. Where are we around the same age? No, I'm older than you are. I'm, I'm 44. Oh, oh, whoa, we're 10 years. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Well, then you know what it's like when you have like all these memories, but or like experience and some of it becomes memories, but then like, there's this like vast, like chasm of like all the other stuff that like I don't even know if it's forgetting or I don't even know like how much like RAM your mind can store at once or like however mindful you can be 
Like if you, I, I really wanted to like remember my life like hard in live blog. That was another thing that like fueled it. And, um, cause I do feel good when I'm like paying attention to it. And I don't think I have been like really for a while or like not in the same way. So it's been like fun to do that again. Um, yeah, but I was going to say like, that's a question. Like you, you did the first live blog under the influence, <laughs> uh, and then you, you wrote the book version, you know, you spent your years editing it down and, um, getting it ready for publication. And then just recently to uh, much fanfare, at least on the internet, you returned to the live blog. So what was it? You missed it. You kind of, you were just kind of talking about it, but I just wanted to put it into context for people. Oh yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, well, it was partially like I thought about doing something like that again, or I don't know. I, I felt really alive during that time and I loved, uh, like how much attention I was paying to everything. And, um, like somebody tweeted, I guess, like on March 17th, like what if Megan Boyle started her live blog project March 17th, 2020, and I was like, I don't know. All right, <laughs> I'll I'll try it out. I mean, like instead of March seventeenth, uh, twenty thirteen. Yeah. So I just like ran with it. I don't know. That, that was it. Somebody just like gave you a little bit of a nudge, and off you off you went. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I had been like wanting to do something for a while. Yeah, and I got a nudge. <laughs> do you think that this will become a book too? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It seems like good not to think about it for now. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. do it and then figure it out later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's a question. What's Has there been a detectable difference from a compositional standpoint between writing while under the influence and writing while sober? Um. Weirdly? Okay. So I can still like... I mean, it wasn't the drugs. It was, I mean, the drugs helped with this, but like I could really start to get attached to what I was saying. And like, like, I mean, I think that's just like sort of the normal thing that like happens to like writers as they write. Maybe you just start to really like, it's this like great interplay between like the ideas you're having and like the language you're putting out or whatever. Um, so that was kind of, it's the same. It's not as like heightened. Um, cause I'm not like controlling it with substances. Um, I don't think I'm, like, as funny as I was, uh, but, like, I don't know. I had a hopeless kind of, like, I, had a, I was really dark. I think my humor was, like, back in 2013 because I, like, yeah, yeah, lots of nihilism. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I also, like, have, like, bedtimes every night and I wake up every morning and I didn't do that in live blog. Uh, the wait, first... wait, 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 wait. You have a bed, you have bedtimes every night. What do you mean by yeah. that? Oh, like I try to go to bed by like around 1230 or so. And like, cause I have to be up in the morning for work and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I like had like, I was totally unstructured and stuff in 2013. Like, yeah. Yeah. I kind of missed like some of that. I don't know. It was such a strange kind of life to be living for a while. And one that I don't think I'd remember at all if I hadn't like written it down. So that's I good. Think, I mean, yeah, I, I, I was having conversations, uh, at least one conversation recently on the show about memory 
and I said this very thing, like that really, unless you have one of these like rare photographic memories, the only way to remember what happened in your life is to be a really dedicated diarist. And in the absence of like keeping a journal and, and putting it down on paper, it's all lost. Yeah. 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 Except like sometimes something will just like bubble up, I guess. Do you get bubbles? Oh Yeah. All the time. I guess like, I'm more likely to mistrust them uh, than I would be if I had some corroboration uh, like on my computer screen or in a journal or something. You know, I think if you're writing it down day of, like even there, there is the layer of memory and the kind of, you know, the the, the fog of perception or whatever. Like you're not going to get it exactly right, but you're more likely to be close when you're, when you're close in uh, proximity time-wise you know, years later, if it bubbles up, it's like, how do I even know if this is like a complete fiction? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I started like feeling that a lot of like, I don't know if I can trust my memories. That's kind of like scary. Like over the past, like, I don't know. It's been like a blur for me kind of from like, like I was writing a lot uh, when I was at home with my parents. Um, like, I was like kind of like in 2016, 2017 when I was in Baltimore, but like, um, yeah, after that I just like stopped and it's just like this weird sense of like, I don't know, I'd like to like trust the thing that like operates in my head a little more to like that creates memories or whatever. Then, then to what? Then to, then to have to write it down? No, I mean, like, uh, that's part of why I, like, wanted to start writing stuff down again so I could, like, be more in line with that mechanism, I guess. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think, too, like like you were saying, it's the it's this act of paying attention. It sort of enforces that upon you when you're um, when you're keeping a daily journal, uh, yeah, which just reminds me. I was, I've been trying to do that every day in 2020, and I've missed, like, the last few days. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just cause this year feels so like weighted or something. I think it's because it's an election year and I mean, look at us now in April and shit is just so crazy. Um, are you feeling that? Like, how can you not be? Yeah. Big time. Oh my goodness. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it's like a kind of historic or time, I guess. Uh, yeah. Like, like people call in, it's kind of nice to be having a job where you're on the phones cause I get to like talk to people like we're like going through it too and like I mean I, I'm actually texting and talking a lot more to my friends than I was before this and so that's kind of nice um yeah how does 12-step work in the age of coronavirus so you guys there are virtual meetings and you talk to your sponsor on the phone I guess right yeah she and I text we actually like live in the same neighborhoods so we like try to see each other um sometimes and like we talk like pretty much daily uh, virtual 12 step meetings. I prefer the phone ones I've learned. I like the phone conferences as opposed to the zoom. Um, like seeing the people, but yeah, it's, you don't have to leave your house, which is kind of nice. Like you don't have to like get ready and go. It's just all there, but it's also like, I don't know. There's something weird about just like being in your apartment all the time. Are, are you like, in home all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- I mean, I've got my family here. Um, like the other day, like you, it, it does, it does force you to sort of be creative. 
about your life. Like we're trying to entertain our kids. We're supposed to be educating them. But um, one thing I've learned in this uh, pandemic is that I am a really shitty homeschool teacher, Um, like among other things. But like, you know, this has been foisted on parents all over the world. You just suddenly you've got to like take over the schooling and, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a lot. My wife, you know, my wife is doing some, there's some video stuff that happens online, you know, but it's just a shit show. Um, and then like, what was it? We, uh, like a friend of ours had like knew a musician. I actually want to make this public because I think more musicians should do this and more people should realize that this is a possibility. But my friend, um, her buddy is a musician. And of course there's no place to play right now because people can't gather. And so we were like, why don't you come over and play, like set up your amp and like play like a private concert in our front lawn. We'll do like physical distancing and you know, it'll be safe, but you can play some music for our kids. And she came out and like set up her, like, you know, it's like a cordless amp, it, you know, you recharge it and it's battery operated. And so she just plunked it down and started playing music. And then like people started coming out of their houses and like, it was just like this lovely little moment, but, uh, I was calling it domestic busking. I think that musicians who are like out of work and like, can't make money, like people should pay them to come to their houses and just play in their front lawns for like a half an hour. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I, I should send you a video. It like, it like, it like gets me choked up. It was like so lovely. And our kids were like so happy, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you got to get creative. And I think in some ways, like you, like you said, being more in touch rather than less in touch with friends during this period of quarantine has been sort of a, like kind of a nice side effect. You know, there are some positives to it. Like, I know that like primarily we're dealing with lots of human suffering and death and it's, you know, it's primarily bad, but we're also not polluting as much as we were prior to the economy shutting down. Um, maybe people are having some time to like take stock and reevaluate. I mean, has that been the case for you? Have you been, I mean, I guess you've been working kind of full bore, but have you had time to like, I don't know, has it caused you to sort of like, uh, consider the future or like reevaluate things you've been doing? Yeah. Um, hmm. well, maybe it's been really good to be writing. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I'm going kind of deeper into my therapy. I like talk to her twice a week. Um, she like pointed out to me that I was in kind of like a regressive phase um lately and that was helpful like I I was like being really resistant about going to meetings like I just didn't want to like I really just wanted to like like it was sort of like a depression was coming up um which is like something like like I I would call that like regressive for me because that's like natural for me to go to like like if I don't make some like footwork in the other direction so yeah, it's given me time to like think about that, and I think uh, in the weeks since that was brought up in therapy, I'm uh, I'm being more active about going to meetings and about talking to people, and like I I'm also like not uh, like it feels really untethered too. Like I'm uh, like I haven't like done like a weekly plan for a really long time. I've just been like live blogging stuff and like. Um, feeling kind of peaceful with that. Uh, 
but also like I do have a little bit of like neurotic fixation on like like making as many updates as I can but I do need to still like like keep appointments like even if they're for like virtual hangouts or something I just need to remember them and stuff because that's also like a muscle that I've needed to like build big time in my life um like like structure (laughs) the structure going going to bed on time yeah yeah yeah. So yeah. let me ask you about the actual writing of live blog, like both the, you know, the previous version and the version that you're working on now. Like, are you doing this on your computer or are you doing this on your phone? Like how do the updates happen? Uh, I'm doing them on my phone, on my desktop, on my work computer and on my laptop. And it feels like crazy. Like all of them are so slow. Like, I have, like, internet problems right now with, like, Comcast that I think they got fixed on Friday. But I prefer to, like, type on my desktop, which is, like, what I'm at right now. But it's not usually in this room. (laughs) Are are there any rules about what goes in? Like, it's basically just, like, whatever comes up. You just pay attention and you report. Yep. Um, Although I do want to be, like, a little bit more careful about, uh, like, some things, like, I don't write as much about other people or like say like conversations um, like I have with people as much or like I'll summarize them, but I won't try to like do like dialogue with people as much because I felt kind of, I don't know, that can be like a little weird or maybe invasive or something or there's something I didn't like about that when I reread live blog. Are you going to live blog about this podcast? Am I going to make this version of the live blog? Yeah, you're already in it. I talked about uh, this morning. Did oh, the- good. Yeah, it's funny. I was like, uh, I've read like the. I have the book live blog like sitting here, and uh, over the years that I've had it, I've like I think a lot of people probably read it this way. Like you read it out of sequence. Like maybe because it's so long, I'm just like, well, you know what? I'm gonna just like just flip to a page and see what was happening on this particular day. Do you under do you do you hear that from people? Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, and so I was like flipping through, and then I was like seeing people's names that like I recognized and I was like, Oh shit. I was like, I wonder if I'm in here somewhere. And then I, I spent like, like 10 minutes, like flipping through looking for my name. And I was like, what am I doing? Uh, you, you catch yourself. <laughs> I think you might be in it somewhere in there. Who knows? I mean, I guess we were maybe in touch online. I remember I interviewed you actually, I interviewed you, uh, you and Mira and Sam years ago. Remember that night? I mean, okay. <laughs> that was wild. That that exists somewhere in the archives. But uh, yeah, you guys were all like, that was like peak craziness, I feel like. That was focusing on my peak craziness. That was like the fun of peak craziness. And then like craziness went, it got not fun. <laughs> yeah, so like we caught you still when it was still like a little bit fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Memories. Oh my God. Yeah, that was funny. Oh, wait. Yeah, your wife was, she was like pregnant. Or she had just had the baby. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what year that would have been. Like, my daughter was born in 2010 and my son was born in 2015. Oh. No, then we were just talking about like birth. I remember talking about like birth on that talk. Yeah, I do too. I do too. And I was like, yeah, I was kind of like in new, I was like new dad or like a relatively new dad. Um, I think I was worried about you guys too. Like hopefully not in like an annoying paternal way, but I was just, 
I just remember like that's when I was getting bits and pieces and I would just be like, wow. And you know, I should say too, because I'm a bit older, I think like just in terms of phase of life, um, I had seen, I had like one of my best friends, uh, I lost him to addiction. So, and that happened in 2011. Um, and so, uh, it was like an accidental opiate overdose and I, you know, we were childhood friends. He was like my brother. And I think I was just like, please don't die. That's what I was kind of thinking. But also I was able, because I, you know, I had my years where I was sort of crazy. I was like, I remember the fun of it, you know? So I didn't want to be like a party pooper, but it was like that combination of things. Like maybe you can relate to that more now. Like, do you, I'm sure you have friends who are still using or maybe living in a way that might expose them to danger. Like, how do you navigate that? That's really tricky. And (laughs) yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, I do have a friend now uh, that like, it's, uh, he's in a really dark place, but he doesn't like see it really. I mean, he does, but, um, he still just like loves this drug. And, um, like I want to control everything (laughs) and I want to swoop in there and like get it all away from him. And like, that's not going to work. Like you can't do that. That's the thing. Like, yeah, like you you gotta let people make their own mistakes, and uh, I just like hope it turns out okay. And I can be there in like whatever way I can be there, but I can't like remove that problem from somebody else's life. And that's really sad about your friend. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I mean I think back on it, and I didn't live in the same. I didn't have proximity. Like we sort of, you know, we were such close friends that we didn't need to talk that much. If that makes sense. It's like one of those people who just see him and it'd be like, Hey, like you just pick up exactly where you left off, you know, because you go back so far. Um, but I think back and I'm like, God, if I had been in better touch, if I had lived near him, I wonder if I could have intervened because I feel like I'm the kind of person who would have noticed something and in, you know, but then again, with the benefit of hindsight, he did sort of send some signals that I totally fucking missed, you know, like sort of like joking texts, you know, like, Uh, like I got some Valium from India or, you know what I'm saying? Like stuff like that, where I was like, Oh, that's funny. You know, ordering Valium from India. Like, I don't even know if I thought he was serious at the time, but I think he, I think he probably was. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's easy to sort of castigate yourself and be like, maybe I didn't do enough, but I think ultimately when it comes to substance abuse and anything, I guess, any big personal decision, like you can't do that stuff for somebody, right? I mean, people have to be ready. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that show intervention or whatever, I like wonder, (laughs) like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how much good, like just throwing someone somewhere does. It makes for some pretty depressing TV. Yeah, I've seen that too. And I have a friend who is probably still using, he's like a, like a, you know, has had a long struggle with alcohol. And I remember years ago there was an intervention and, uh, it didn't work. You know, some people, maybe some people it would work, you know, I think it depends on the timing. I think if you time the intervention just right, where like the person who is struggling 
is sort of in that place where it's like something's wrong, you know, <laughs> like this isn't fun anymore or, you know, they're getting close to that point. And then all of a sudden, like their entire family is like sitting in a semicircle crying. Um, like then maybe it might register, but you know, if, it, if they're still having some fun, uh, good luck. Yeah. 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 Right? Thank Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember in one of the first like meetings I went to at the psych ward thing, this guy was talking about like how like he was holding a rock and he wanted to like, <laughs> fuck, what was it? It was like, he was talking about how he wanted anything else in the world, but his addiction or he wanted like anything else, but like the drug he was about to do. And I was just like, huh? <laughs> I just want some drugs. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it takes a while. I mean, unfortunately, they're pretty fun. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. You know, people wouldn't use these things and, or take these things if, if it was just a like a big, huge bummer. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I think people can take them sanely, too. And like, you know, yeah, they're not like all bad. No. No, I, I think like, I, you know, I'm not an, uh, I don't have an addictive person, you know, I don't have a, the addiction thing. Like I can just have like one glass of wine. Oh. That's, that's, yeah. That's kind of me, you know, like I can do that, but, um, I do do it like most days, like at the end of the day, I'm just like, I'm going to have a glass of wine with dinner. I guess I'm okay with that. I don't know. You know, I don't want to be too neurotic about it. It seems pretty chill. Um, but then there's like a, a more austere, like Buddhist side of me that's like, why do you need that glass of wine, Brad? Like, <laughs> like can't, can't like, is that at your Dumbo's feather? You can't like enjoy your evening without it, you know? And so, I don't know. You, I think you have to deal with uh, things on a case by case basis, or like a, you know, as you as an individual, and get to a, a place where you can uh, function well. And afterward, you know, after a while, you just have to stop worrying about it, right? Yeah. 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 Um, but what about like maintaining? Um, because I got to say, Megan, especially in light of uh, losing my friend and like, I, I think like I was always looking at you through that lens, even though you didn't necessarily know it. Um, and I look at anybody through that lens. It wasn't, wasn't just you, <laughs> yeah. but I was always just like worried about you. And I was like, I hope, you know, she pulls through um, because I, I hate hearing stories of people um, being lost to this stuff. It's so needless, you know? Uh, and it causes a lot of pain. And so I'm so happy that you're doing so well. Like you look great, you sound great. And I think I would also say um, you're really talented. And I felt like that long before um, you got sober. I felt like that when I first read you and first got to know you years ago. Um, you're an immensely talented writer and I'm just so glad that you're gonna hopefully be able to keep doing it. So you should know that. Like you. It, it pops right off the screen or off the page. And I think a lot of us feel this way. Um, but you just have an enormous gift and like, it's worth taking care of, I think. Thanks a lot, Brad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I guess the question that I'm leading up to is about maintaining. Um, and I don't mean it. I don't mean to pose this as like a, you know, I don't want to be dark or morbid or anything, but you know, there's no, like we said earlier, there's no finish line when it comes to human suffering. There's no finish line when it comes to uh, struggling with addiction. You know, you don't graduate, as I understand it anyway. Maybe you have a different view. But um, the point I want to make is that, like, how do you, 
like I'm sure your sponsor talks about this with you or, you know, you probably, this is probably front of mind for you every day is like, you, you want to make sure you don't backslide. You want to make sure there aren't relapses because they can be lethal. You know, it's a deadly disease basically. Right. Yep. And it's progressive. So like the more, like the further you've gone with it, or at least in my experience too, like, cause I have like relapsed a couple of times, like in the past, like two years, um, like, like, when you go back out again, it's like not only it's like as bad, but a little bit worse than the last time. So it's like, ah, yeah, I got to learn things the hard way. <laughs> so I've learned that the hard way. And yeah. Um, can I, can I, can I actually uh, pause? I'm, I'm curious to know if you're willing to talk about it. Um, yeah. like about uh, like at least one of the relapses, like you go out, you get a drink or you get a pill or whatever it was. Um, or both. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, um, like how, how did it go? I mean, you said it was worse than the last time, but can you just talk a bit more about like the experience and especially like the aftermath of the experience and then going back to sobriety? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, the past like two years, like since about, yeah, like 2018, um, which is when I went to my first, like, I would say, like, really earnestly started going to meetings um, of another kind of 12-step group. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I get into this pattern of, like, I could do it for about two months, and then I'd slip. Or I could do it, and then, like, four months, and then I'd, like, stop going to meetings, and I'd slip. Um, so, like, the biggest, like, <laughs> and I would, it would just be with, like, alcohol or pot. Like, I didn't want to, I restricted myself, like, to those two things, if I'm going to, like, mess up. That um, sounds like that sounds like a, a fairly logical negotiation to make with yourself, right? Like, it's just weeded or booze. That's it. Like, nothing hard, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it goes, like, oh, okay. So, um, in, like, it was November 2018. I, like, had this, like, relationship not go so well. It was, like, really short. And, uh... Uh, like really intense and then like after that I was like I stopped going to meetings I wasn't really I was kind of on the fringe of them anyway and then I found like my bowl that had like some resin in it and I was like okay this doesn't count <laughs> and I like got super high um and I was just like fuck I need some more of that and I went out and I just, I mean, that became my life for like two months. I like shut out everybody. And this is right when live blog like came out and was like, there's some press about it and stuff or like things that I kind of missed out on, I think. And, uh, cause I was just like holed up in here and I like totally like the progressive thing of it was like, I don't really even like weed. Um, and I just needed to be like high all the time. And like, I isolated myself from like everybody. Like I didn't talk to my mom, like stopped responding to like Jordan and Nicolette. Like it was just like, like my bedroom basically. <laughs> and I hated it. Like I just like couldn't stop doing it. And like, that's what I'd felt with like Adderall, but not in such like a short period of time. Like, I mean, two months is kind of long, but uh, like as opposed to like the years long thing I had with like Adderall or like Xanax, it was just like this like little nugget of like two months doom that like by the end of that, I was just like, I got to get out. I got, I got, I need help. And then I did finally, I reached out to Jordan and Nicolette and, um, 
And they were like, like, yeah, <laughs> you could start going to meetings again. And, and I, I, February of like 2019, that's when stuff started like really honestly, like picking up for me, I think, or like I was serious about it. And I realized that maintenance thing that you're talking about, like, um, which, yeah, I do like, I mean, in like early, early sobriety, I like struggled with that. And like, I'd like stay up to like 4am and I didn't have a job then. And like, I could kind of like live unstructuredly, but I like slowly started to kind of implement routines, like working out and running and, um, like eating well and like cooking more of my own food. And like, I don't know, uh, there was, that stuff helps. Yeah, it does, right? <laughs> I mean, the exercise, I don't know what I would do without it. And I, I think eating well too. Like I always say like one of the reasons why I'm so good about what I eat is that I had a period in my youth, like when I was in college where I did too many drugs and I felt like shit and I like smoked cigarettes and, you know, and then I, I guess the, the point is that like I realized like, oh, there's a correlation between what I put in my body and how I feel. <laughs> like what do you know? <laughs> like, don't know why it took me so long to have that epiphany, but you know, just a couple of years of complete uh, craziness. And then suddenly it dawned on me. Yeah. I, it took me a long time too. It's okay. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Well, I think we're, we're not alone. Uh, there's probably like, uh, most of us are this way, but, um, so you, you know, it sounds to me like what you're describing is like, uh, I was going to say like a healthy learning process, but it's not entirely healthy. It's like, it, it's a much more high stakes learning process than most, because like you said, uh, it's a progressive illness and, you know, sometimes people have a relapse and it winds up killing them or they, you know, they harm themselves in some way that, uh, has lasting effects or something, but, um, still like the basic dynamics of it, is, this is how we learn. You know, I talked about, you know, meditating and feeling better because of it. And, you know, not some like really dynamic, like electrifying way, but these things kind of work on subtle levels, you know, and then you backslide and you don't do it for a while. And then suddenly you're like, why am I a cranky bastard? You know, like, why am I, why did I just snap at somebody when I normally wouldn't have done that? Or why am I being so hard on myself or feeling blue or something? Um, and I think, you do that enough times, like you fall off, um, or you lose the, the thread enough times that eventually like the lesson of it solidifies. Right. I mean, that's hopefully what happens anyway. And it just hearing you talk about it, it sounds like you have a pretty clear awareness of what happened. Um, I guess like, when a question might be like when you were in the the depths of this like weed binge this two month like you know falling off the wagon and just it was just smoking weed that was all you did yeah but by the end i was like this is dumb i like need more stuff <laughs> okay yeah you're like this isn't cutting it but um i guess like like did you have awareness uh, within the experience where you were like well, I fell off the wagon and now I'm doing this. And were you like, you, there, you would have to, right? I mean, especially with just weed. I mean, if you had something stronger, maybe you could go so fully like blotto that you would be removed. But um, yeah. you had to have kind of like a dual psychology about it. Yeah, well, I just like gave up and uh, like I surrendered to like, like a substance 
or whatever. Um, I just like, um, there's something like comforting about that. Like you just like let the thing play you kind of. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, that feels awful. And honestly, that's kind of like what propels me to like continue doing it more. Cause it's like, Oh fuck, I've already messed up. Might as well just keep messing up. Might as you know, like that, like terrible logic of like downward spiral, um, that like feeds and grows on itself. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, I think like, I mean, a lot of people too in the program, like, like there are people that are like the first nighters who they like, they come in on their first, like, like, like they don't want to do drugs or alcohol anymore. Um, and then they're like set for the rest of their lives. But then most of the people are kind of like me, at least that I've met, um, who like kind of slip and fall and slip and fall. And I, I think like, as long as you don't fall, like I have a sense now of like too far falling, um, that I don't, I like can't go there, but like throughout the day, I'm like checking myself for like little, like beginnings of that thing. Cause it's still there. Um, what is it? Do you know, is it like a voice in your head or is it, um, like, what is it? What is that thing? Ah, it is kind of like a voice or a feeling or something. Um, like a kind of like, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it seems like both like childish in that it like just wants to feel comfortable and like, it doesn't like think about what like just laying in bed on like on some drug would like, it doesn't know about like long-term effects but it also feels very like commanding. Like it knows that it's right. Um, actually I guess it is really like childish because kids think they're really right all the time. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's cause when things are hard or bad, like there's an easiness to that. Like my like drama teacher in high school said something about like, it's easier to make people cry than it is laugh. Um, and I really think there's like a pull towards like easiness or comfort, um, or that I've experienced like, and, and of like a hard place or a dark place or a depressed place. Like I know that place it's familiar. So like when everything else in my life feels like scattered or something, um, or like I'm not doing maintenance or something, I start to want to go back to something that has had like a kind of like long-term independent maintenance of its own over my life, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I think uh, what comes to mind for me is like the old adage that like the way through is through and it's hard. Uh, therapy is all about this. Sobriety is all about this. Like all the things we've been talking about are all about... Um, like really working through suffering as opposed to trying to medicate it or run away from it. It doesn't have to be drugs. You know, it can be Netflix. Yeah. Um, it can be staring into your phone, which we all do like, you know, 600 times a day. And, you know, we said it may is a voice. Um, I don't even know what it's, it's like a feeling of unease. It's that feeling of, uh, you know, what do the Buddhists call it? Like dukkha or something uh, is the word, like the Sanskrit word. But it's just that like, ugh, 
or that like it's in your chest almost, you know, that anxiety or that depression or that just dis-ease and you want something to take it away. And so you'll go check to see how many like likes your Instagram posts got or something and you'll get your dopamine, but that's not a long-term solution. And in fact, um, I think over time it's actually, uh, it exacerbates the suffering rather than ameliorates the suffering, which is, you know, I think where we wind up when we've let things go untended for too long. Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird that we all have that. <laughs> I guess it's the, I think what we're talking about is the human condition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you have your job. You don't necessarily see this as a permanent career, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, you might like you're toying with the idea of potentially doing something like becoming a therapist or a teacher or something like you could see that as a possibility maybe yeah probably more so on the therapy side yeah, yeah. and you think would if you became a therapist i'm imagining you would probably be interested in like a jungian approach but do you think that you would want to um work with addicts like is that where you think you would want to focus yeah i've thought about that like i do know that um like there are lots of jobs for like substance abuse counselors and uh i'm curious about that uh i've been talking to my therapist analyst about it too and she advises like not doing that and just getting like an lcsw um which you can get like a substance abuse degree or like certification in addition to that but uh you mean like a what like licensed certified social worker is that yeah, what it is yeah yeah, yeah. Um, which takes about four years. Um, and then like advanced training, um, in like a young institute would be like, it could be like seven to 11, I guess. Um, so it'd be like a long time. That's kind of what she did though. Um, she like changed career paths in her mid thirties. So, um, it's possible. I don't know. I wrote it off for a while, but I'm excited about it. Um, I I think it sounds good. I think the only thing I would ask um, like the question that I think I would be asking myself and maybe you've had a similar conversation with yourself is like, am I ready? Um, especially in the context of sobriety, like to be charged with advising or offering therapy to somebody who's struggling with these issues before you've been sober for X amount of years. Like, is it advisable? Do you know what I'm saying? Like how far, how far into the process do you need to be before you feel like you would be in a place where that would be a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, yeah, I need a lot more time. <laughs> but the schooling kind of builds in, it's like built into the process. You'd have to, I mean, you wouldn't even be out there doing therapy for what it sounds like at least four years. Yeah. Yeah. And most places like, cause I do like work online, they require if you're, um, like for you to be in a program and to have at least two years of sobriety. So of consistent sobriety. Um, so yeah, it will just happen. Um, it was also, I don't know, it was pretty important for me to get this like dumb customer service job, which it's not really dumb, but it's like, I mean, it's not like my dream job, but I just needed to pick something and like do something. Cause you can like, I don't know. Have you ever gone through periods of just like, like, like turning the wheels and like, yes, you- yes. <laughs> <laughs> for too long. I mean, I'm still kind of wrestling with it. Um, it's, it's been a challenge. The challenge of my entire adult life is like 
like a trying to figure out how to like consistently make a living in a way that makes me like feel I don't know I don't want to say happy because that might be asking too much of a day job but it's that and then it's also um, for me it's an issue of focus I feel like I've done so many different things that it's been often at the expense of writing um, and you know some of it's a matter of necessity like I have a family to support and you know I'm happy to do that but Lately, I've been like, I've got to make time for writing because I've been spreading myself so thin and doing all these different things like podcasting and running a literary magazine. And then the literary magazine has a live event series and then it has a book club and then it has a publishing, you know, and I like to do all these different things, but, and I get really excited to do them. And then all of a sudden I look up and I'm like, wait, like I haven't written anything in (laughs) like way too long, or I haven't gotten more than five hours of sleep in a night in you know, six months or something. And it just gets to be absurd. So I'm trying to get myself wrangled into like a, you know, a healthy quote unquote, uh, pattern, but it's an ongoing challenge. Yeah. Isn't that, that sucks that like you have to like schedule free time. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I mean, my, like my wife and I always joke because we put the kids to bed at night and like I, my, I usually put my son to bed and then she puts our daughter to bed and, I come back into the bedroom first usually because he's younger, so he falls asleep first. And then our daughter's sort of anxious. Like she's uh, she's got this thing where she's scared she's going to die in her sleep, <laughs> like little girl stuff. And so she like very much wants uh, like somebody to be there with her while she falls asleep. And so my wife will stay there in, until late. And then sometimes we'll be like, hey, like I'll say like a couple words, you know, or like or she'll climb into bed and I'll be like, hey, honey, and you know. You give her like a kiss goodnight, but I'm like, when are we going to have like time to like, like we're going to have to schedule time to have like a 15 minute conversation. <laughs> like it sometimes feels like that in life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in a sense, it means that you have like a really full life, I think. I do. I do. I mean, I'm not complaining. I don't know what I would do without them. And I think sometimes you can take it for granted because for so long I didn't, you know, have uh, like in my 20s, I was basically like a monk. Like I didn't barely date. Um, I was just working on my book. Uh, And, you know, I I did go out and do some stuff, but I was pretty solitary, you know, and uh, and then things change. Um, I have a friend who's in her 20s and sort of like wasn't necessarily lamenting but she was like sort of talking about how she hasn't dated in a while and i was like don't worry about it like don't worry about it like things will happen in their time you know and there's also something to be said for not having all that like the freedom of not having it is nice too you know (laughs) (laughs) so it's just you know pick your poison i guess um so besides uh job stuff you know potentially going back to school and and doing a therapy job um, you know, as far as art goes and writing goes, you're doing the live blog again. Now it may or may not become a book. We just, you know, we're not really thinking about that. Do you have any like, like other aspirations artistically? Like, are there, like, do you have in like the back of your mind, like, wow, this is a book I would love to write one day. Or like, would you ever write like a, I mean, I guess maybe the new live blog might be some fun, you know, version of this, but like a sobriety memoir or something like that. Yeah, I've thought about that. I uh, So, like, a big part of uh, Jungian analysis is, like, other creative outlets. Um, 
so I've been like drawing and painting a lot. I don't have any like like grand goals with anything, but I've been enjoying that. And uh, like last year especially, I was like dancing a lot. And uh, <laughs> like where? Uh, at this like okay, there's this thing called the Five Rhythms that uh, this woman Gabrielle Ross, I think, is her name. She like found these five rhythms that are present in like all cultures, like in their dances and movements. And like, if you put in like certain kinds of rhythms in the music, then your body will just, if you let it be free, it will like move in certain patterns. And I don't know, I, I, I had a lot of fun last year, uh, dancing like that. Um, and this other thing called ecstatic dance, which is about like getting in touch yeah, you know my that? friend. Yeah, my like my, I say my friend. She's my son's uh, aide. Like she works with him at school. She's living with us now during this pandemic, and oh. she's like she goes to Burning Man every year and she goes to Ecstatic Dance and she's oh. always like you should come to Ecstatic Dance and I'm like like for me like personality wise and temperamentally I'm like that is maybe one of the last things I would ever think of doing. <laughs> I'm also worried that like it's, I don't th- I don't know if anybody needs to see me ecstatic dance, but I guess that's part of it. You have to abandon that ego thing. Yeah, yeah, it feels really good, man. Oh, <laughs> 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 um, I was all I mean, you know, I'm very like up here um in my head and like yeah, it's very not suited to my personality either, which is kind of why I got a kick out of it. But, um, like, you, you made yourself do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I made myself do it once. I was sort of curious about it. But then, like, it just started happening. It was just really fun. Um, and my, my first sponsor, she actually, like, taught an ecstatic dance class. So, I, uh, yeah, I'd like to do something like that i don't know i don't know it's a big question mark it's a big uh about like the whole future thing for me i guess but in terms of creative things like yeah i'm interested in involving like the body either in like some dancey way or like performance way or something in the future i don't know that sounds kind of like pretentious but it is something i'm churning about in my head <laughs> well that, that that doesn't sound pretentious to me and and um, just because I'm curious, will you like? Can you explain to me, like, when you go to ecstatic dance, it's not like you're in some bar. You're in a, like, where does this happen, and like, how does it actually, like, does somebody say, okay, everybody, we're starting now, or do you just like walk in and start dancing? Like, uh, what happens? Well, the one I went to, the ecstatic dance one, it was very like intimate. There was like often just like three of us, and uh, in a yoga studio, and like we'd get together and we'd have like a little like set an intention, say like a prayer and, uh, be silent for a little bit. And then the teacher would put on music and then like, it's, it's very much like you're not looking at like other people. And that's like even kind of like discouraged to like look at other, I mean, you can look, it's fine. But like, that was sort of like, uh, the feeling that I got from there. Like we're all like in our own thing, but then you like do things together that are kind of cool. Um, some of it was directed like that. And then the other, like the five rhythms, like workshop thing I was going to, they're a little bit more like, uh, like, like directed, like, okay, now we're moving into staccato. Now we're doing lyrical. And that's fun. I don't know. Yeah. But they, they all have that like period of quiet beforehand where you kind of, at least the ones that I've been to, right. I just like stretch and you ease into it. 
you realize that like you're not walking on a sidewalk you're in like a place where you can be a little have a little more give yourself permission <laughs> to let go a little more so when you talk about possibly wanting to do something art like from a creative uh from the perspective of like creative expression with the body does this mean you would like be a dance teacher or you would actually like be a dancer like i don't think a dancer but uh like doing some kind of like dance class like that or i don't know for like really thinky people like getting into your body for really thinky people i'd like to help really thinky people feel in here more <laughs> that's not maybe that's why maybe i'm the perfect person to do ecstatic <laughs> dance maybe so yeah <laughs> you should pull out you should go with your aid. Yeah. I mean, she's always say, she's like, no problem. I mean, and by the way, like, I'm sure you can, in Los Angeles, you can probably ecstatic dance. Like there's probably an ecstatic dance location, like every 500 yards somewhere in this town. Whoa. I would imagine, <laughs> especially if you're like over in Venice or something. Um, but I don't know. It's like, I have such a, I am very shy about dancing unless I'm like really drunk or something at a wedding maybe, but that's, it's been a long time since I've been that guy. Um, but maybe I need to just loosen up. Yeah. Are, are you a good dancer? I like, really <laughs> do. You, but I mean, you know, some people have the gift. Like some people have like an innate sense of rhythm and they're good dancers. Like I'm not a good dancer. I don't think. But um, I don't think I have that. Like, I don't know. I guess I'm like average. I don't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to think about like grading yourself as a dancer. Like what kind of dancer am I? Um, I, and I also think, too, that, like, if you practice it, you can get better. Yeah, that's the thing, too. Like, the more you do it, like, when I was in, like, a habit or routine of doing it, I was like, oh, wow, there's, like, this area on my back. I don't move there much. So then you move there. and um, Yeah, like, you get to know your body more the more you, like, put it through certain little uh, movements and stuff. You probably get in shape, too. It's probably good exercise. Yeah, yeah. My instructor sponsor used to say it like burns like 1600 calories, but I don't believe her. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Yet another reason to do ecstatic dance. Yeah. Um, Megan, before I let you go, like I'm imagining, um, I don't know. I hope this isn't like corny, but like there might be people listening who are like struggling, uh, with substance or who are like, uh, wondering if they should get sober or, you know, who are sort of like in that place. Um, I think a lot of what you said probably would answer any questions people might have, but like, is there anything we haven't talked about that you would say to somebody who's in that situation? Um, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like no matter how alone you think you feel and it is valid, however alone you feel and you can feel very alone. There's, uh, um, there's another way <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to do that. Um, and even for the very, yeah, the stubborn ones of us that, uh, well, nobody thinks that the, ah, that's not good to say because I didn't want to think of myself as stubborn. Um, just like, I don't know, like I always hoped back then, like in 2013, I was like, is there another way? Is there a way out? Like I wanted another way out that wasn't like the dark way out that I was always imagining. And yes, there is another way and you might not love it, but it will carry you through life and you will grow to love it. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds maybe preachy, 
or something. No, I but I think uh, I think it's I think it's um, it's a, it's good thinking, and I think it's true. You know, you don't have to like. Why would we ever have to live just one way? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, like, why would we? Why would we feel confined to like some particular pattern of existence? Uh, seems like there's lots of different ways to do it, and not all of them involve like horrible hangovers and you know getting the shakes and feeling terrible. Yeah, 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 and it's really fun just to like not have any. I don't know, life is so loud if you, like, listen to it. Um, I feel like I wasn't really listening very much when I had lots of, like, stuff in my system. Um, or it was a different kind of listening. Um, but, yeah, life doesn't have to be just any one thing. And those experiences have value, like like all those, like, those drug times and <laughs> the sober times. I don't know. It's like really easy to think that there's no like meaning or value in life. I wonder, I, I guess that is the, like the human condition or whatever thing. Like, but I wish it wasn't because it's just, well, it is just as easy to think that there is meaning and that there is value. You just have to like flip a switch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, this is like a concern of mine, like in my writing is like trying to like make sense of it all, you know, just not even my writing, but in my life in general, like trying, what the hell's going on? You know, like asking those kind of like big questions that you like ask yourself in your dorm room in your freshman year of college or whatever. But like, I'm kind of still there. <laughs> I never left. I'm like, what's going on? And I, I, I guess like you have to um, create your own meaning. I mean, I've heard that said, that makes some sense to me. Um, so much of, so much of how, uh, we experience life comes down to like the stories we tell ourselves and, um, the way we language things for ourselves. So it makes some sense to work on that and to come up with elegant things to say <laughs> and to create like elegant meanings, you know, um, not that I mastered it or anything, but that's the best I can tell, uh, at this point. I mean, I'm, that's like. It's funny that we're talking about it because it's literally like what I was working on before we got on the line. Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. It's like just trying to like, I have all this research that I've done and I'm like trying to like sift through it and like synthesize it and come up with my own take, if that makes sense. But I thought it would be easier than it is. It's like, oh my God, there's a lot here. Like, what do I really think? You know? And, uh, you know, it's, it's good. It's good stuff to, it's good work to do, but it's, you know, like all all good work. It's, it's not as easy as we wish it were. <laughs> yeah. But the struggle is kind of fun. I don't know if there was no struggle or anything in anything, we wouldn't feel like the things we did, you know, mattered as much. That's but, right. That's right. If it was like just super easy to suddenly be like, yeah, I'm sober, whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All those years of, uh, like near death experiences and like, you know, crazy, like, you know, thinking that I had, uh, what is it like elaborate patterns growing on my skin? Like it's just, it's over with. I fixed it in a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, uh, I meant what I said. I think you're, um, incredible talent and I'm so thrilled, uh, that you're sober and well and doing what you're doing. Uh, and I just hope you, you stick with it. And I'm glad to have the chance to talk with you, um, you know, all these years later and to check in with you. And I hope we cross paths at some point when this, uh, 
this crazy pandemic is all over with. Yeah, I hope so too, Brad. It's been really great talking to you. Very means a lot to me what you said. I'm not very good at like taking compliments, but thank you. Um, it's just good to talk to you. All right, everybody, there you go. That is Megan Boyle. Her novel is called Live Blog. It's available from Tyrant Books. You can find her online uh, over at Twitter. Go to Twitter and you can follow her there, at Megan Boyle. You can also follow her on Instagram. Her handle there is at Megan Ass Boyle. You have to put the ass in between Megan and Boyle for Instagram. But Twitter is just Megan Boyle. You know what I mean. If you want to follow her current live blog, you can do that at beethoventhemovie.tumblr.com. Megan Boyle, the novel one more time is called Live Blog. Go get your copy right now. Thanks to Tiger in My Tank for the interstitial music there at the top of the interview. If you would like to uh, write to me, if you have some feedback, you can do that by emailing me at letters at otherppl.com. That's letters at otherppl.com. Let me know what you think. If you would like to support the program, you can do that at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. It's like a couple of bucks a month, as much as you want, whatever you want, or nothing. I don't give a shit. If you want to, though, you can. Well, you know, I don't know how to do this. This is just awkward now, me trying to do Patreon. But, I mean, you know, I don't know. It seems okay to do Patreon, right? Maybe it's not okay to do Patreon in a time of a plague. Maybe I'm an insensitive asshole. I don't know. Just forget I even talked about it. If you uh, want to get the app, the other people with Brad List, the app, it's the official app of this program. You can go get the app. It's free. Coming up on Wednesday, I have Amanda Goldblatt on the program. Amanda Goldblatt and I in conversation. We recorded that right here in studio before everything got shut down. Got a couple of more, uh, a couple more in-studio recordings, and then after that, we're going to be fully remote in keeping with uh, the situation. Thanks for listening, folks. I hope you're doing well out there. If you're not doing well, I hope this helps. Got like 600 and some odd episodes for you to dig into if you need company. It's all here. It's all free. Go get it and uh, hang in there, all right? I don't know how to get you into the forest, okay? (laughs) 